Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. As I approached um, this Sunday, I began to look at all that the church has offered to us in, on this Sunday, and it seemed particularly rich. We are in the midst of the summer fast where we honor and magnify and draw close to the Theotokos. You see, I get to wear my fancy blue orarion, and we have some beautiful new vestments for the altar. And we just passed on Thursday the Feast of the Transfiguration, arguably one of the great feasts of the church that seems to us so important as it illuminates us to understand who Christ is. And we have this gospel, which also is so important for us to understand what's going on. We also have the feast day of St. Matthias, and one of the feast days of our, one of our rare American saints, St. Herman Velasco. So while it would be tempting to try to speak to all of these things, I will hopefully only touch on them a little bit and somehow make a connection. What we are all going through seems big. We began our fast with a lockdown many months ago. And the summer fast tells us the summer is ending, but this season, pandemic, or the coronavirus, or whatever we call this, is not ending. And it seems so big, so huge, and it dominates much of what we think about. And I was very tempted today to, to not mention it at all, but it seems like that's the context for our lives, the context by which we are living and working out our faith. And while it seems so big, I want to remind us all that God is bigger. That when we look back on this, we don't know how long it's going to last. But when we do eventually look back on it, maybe sometime distant in the future, it will seem big. Many, many people have suffered. and Many, many people have lost their lives. But God is bigger than all of this. God is working through all of this. Have you ever stopped, I'm sure you have, to contemplate, for lack of a better word, the bigness of God? Our God is infinite. Now, I was a science teacher, and there was often occasions to contemplate the solar system and, and the, uh, the size of the universe, and I do when, it, when the newspaper has an article talking about black holes and different things, it piques my interest. And we think about just our little sun in our little galaxy, and yet our sun is so, so enormous, so big, so massively energetic and encompassing. And yet our God, our infinite God, holds all of creation in the palm of his hand. Truly, we have a God who is incomprehensible. We cannot wrap our heads around just how big our own little sun is. 
let alone how big the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, our God. St. Basil says it is easier to measure the entire sea with a tiny cup than to grasp the ineffable greatness of God with the human mind. So we have this sense that God is so overwhelmingly un incomprehensible. And it is no wonder that so many refuse to believe, so many with a, perhaps a scientific mindset who want to see evidence. Here's something else completely incomprehensible. God is love, and God loves us. If you describe God as this infinite being, and then you describe him as someone who loves us, these things don't seem to be comprehensible. In fact, if it were not for the person of Jesus Christ, God would be completely incomprehensible. But all we need to know about this infinite God is revealed in the person, the life, and the passion, the love of Jesus Christ, who is able to show us the fullness and depth of God's love for us. God indeed is big, but he has made himself near to us, and he loves us. St. John Chrysostom says that God loves us more than father, mother, friend, anyone else, even more than we are able to love ourselves. Now we know this, but when we think about our own love for our children and how much we ache with love for them and to recognize that our love is but a, a, a dim reflection of God's love, we once again are overwhelmed with the greatness of God, with this incomprehensibility. Now, why does the infinite God love us? Job says, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you visit him morning and night and pay attention to him? And that God has elevated us, or rather, come down to us and given us this place. Father Zacharias in uh, the hidden heart of man summarizes this question, or the answer to this question, I think, really easily. Why does God love us? We know from the book of Genesis, he quotes, that we have been created in the image and likeness of God. He loves us because we have been created in his image and his likeness for him, essentially. He goes on. The image consists of what God has placed in us, what he has breathed in us. But the likeness is our potential, which then grows in us through our repentance and living according to Christ's commandments. We must then be aware that God has given us to be his image, whereas our likeness to him is attained by the voluntary struggle of repentance. Now you've heard this terminology before, you've heard this idea that we were created in the image and likeness of God. And to ponder this, that we are created in the image and likeness of the infinite God. Except we are human. And we remember now through Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ, our God, is in fact a human. 
We grow into the likeness of God. We fulfill our image of God by becoming more and more like Christ. Father Zacharias goes on. We have been created for the sole purpose of showing forth the virtues of God. Our whole purpose in our life is to show forth the virtues of God, to show the world what God is like by being like Christ. Because everything that God is like that is available to us, that has been revealed to us, is revealed in the person of Christ. And everything that the world will know about Christ will be revealed by us as we grow in the image of Christ and as we show forth the very virtues of God. St. Peter says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And again, the gospel says more simply that the light of God should shine through us and people, seeing that, seeing that you will glorify God. Unfortunately, God's image has been distorted in us. And we must work to see the likeness of God produced in us, that the virtues of God may be shown. Now, in today's gospel, I'll only talk briefly about it. We see that Christ, um, in the previous week, he fed the 5,000 people and dismissed his disciples into a boat while he went up on a mountain to pray. And they are rowing, apparently, across um, the lake, the sea, and their wind is against them. They're not making a problem. They're in the middle of a storm. And as they come across, as they're, as they're toiling all night long, they see Jesus, who they left behind, walking to them on the water. And they're terrified. And Jesus tells them, commands them, take heart, it is I, have no fear. And immediately, Peter responds, and has no fear, and says, if it is you, bid me to come, you on, come to you on the water. Now, Jesus says only one word. He says, come. Now, if Peter is going to walk on the water, which is the very thing that Jesus is doing, then he will manifest these attributes of God, these virtues of God. And Jesus says to him, come. Come to me. Come near me. Come be like me. Come fulfill your purpose to be like me, to share in who I am, in the fullness of God. It's not unlike when he said to the fishermen who were mending their nets, come, follow me, come, be near me, come, listen to me, come, learn from me. St. John the Baptist's disciples were following him. And Jesus turns and says to them, what do you want? His, he says, Lord, where are you staying? And Jesus says to them, come, come in. Jesus says to Matthew, the tax collector, come. And he says to all of us, come, 
Come and be near me. Come and partake of me. Come, follow me. So, in our faith that we have been granted, we come. We come to God. We come with our weaknesses. We come with our fear. We come with our laziness, our distractedness, but we come. And then we wonder and we doubt. Because we came, because we showed up, because we are endeavoring, trying to be like Christ, follow his commands, we don't feel like we've been lifted up. We're not able to see it. Why? Why doesn't God transform us? Why don't we get the illumination of the apostles who were able to boldly go out with the power of the Holy Spirit to change the world? Why don't we get that? Well, the hymn of transfiguration, which we just said at the entrance three times, tells us why. At Mount Tabor, the glory of the Lord, a small bit of the glory of the infinite God was revealed to the apostles. And the hymn says, you were transfigured on the mountain, showing your glory to your disciples as much as they could bear. The reason why that we do not experience the glory of God day after day, the reason we're not walking around in a cloud of bright light, the reason we're not seemingly walking on water is because we are not able to bear it yet. The Lord has one desire for us, to share the fullness of his life with us, to plant his life in us, to see his life grow in us, so that we might bear spiritual fruit, that we might grow into his likeness, as inconceivable as this is, that we might become Christ-like and show to the world what Christ is like. Now, some of you know that I try to keep a garden. And the Lord is wanting to plant your garden, that is the garden of your heart. So our hearts are much like a piece of ground. When we come to Christ, Christ leads us to our heart, like a patch of ground in which he wants to grow a garden. Now, if we want to grow something in the ground, we need to do some preparation. If you walk up to a piece of ground and say, I'm going to put a garden here, well, there's already stuff there. So we've got some stuff to do. In the same way, as we are led to our heart for Christ to grow his likeness in us, we find the garden of our heart already has things in it. It has sin. It has, it has weeds and rocks. It has selfishness. It has self-centeredness. It has unbelief. And these are things that must be moved out of the way before this life of Christ can be manifest in us, can be shown in us. I've often described my own garden as a weed patch where I manage to grow some vegetables. Because truly, the first step in my garden, literally, is I take a piece and I scratch out all of the weeds because they just keep coming. 
in the same way our first step is our repentance, where we're going to pull all the weeds. Now, if you have a big garden, you realize you can't pull all the weeds, or you never plant. Because by the time you pulled the weeds over here, they would be back over here. So we live small. We live in humility. And we do what we can to prepare the soil of our hearts. But if you're going to work in a garden, or especially a big garden, if you're going to have a plan to grow vegetables throughout the year, you really need a to-do list. And my family knows that I am quite addicted to making lists of things that need to get done. Now, I would like to give you a list, remembering that the garden of your hearts, God has done everything. He's done everything for our gardens. He's given us the soil, the sun, the rain, everything we need, the ability. And he's given us everything for our spiritual garden. And ours is just to stand with him and have him show us what we need to do with our weed patch. Now, some of you are familiar with the 55 maxims that Father John Hopko has given. It's a beautiful list of things that make the fullness of the Christian life. Now, I didn't go to that and glean those. I'm not going to talk about those. But I have six things. I'm going to give you a to-do list, a garden to-do list for the garden of your heart. And thank you for listening. I went on longer than I thought, but, but perhaps this list will be helpful to you. If we want to see the Lord's likeness grow in us, we can begin with this first step, is deciding, deciding that we'll be thankful for everything, everything that comes our way, even things that are hard and perhaps unpleasant. We will say, glory be to God, thank you. Now show me what you will do with this. Number two, which is like it, is don't complain about anything ever. I think it's probably impossible to be both thankful and complaining at the same time. So we need to set our list of something that we must stop doing or do, is we must stop complaining. Don't complain about anything ever. And when we do this, we will see that the soil of our heart becomes much softer to the word of God. Number three, extend love to every single person. Make a story out. 